Welcome to Uncontained, episode 151. I sit down and talk with Oakland-based stand-up comic Tushaga. Tushaga, he's been doing stand-up for a couple years. He's definitely a comic that is up and coming. We talk about how he got into stand-up comedy, and also he was on disability for a while, injured, couldn't work, and how stand-up comedy actually helped his body heal. And we talk about some of the stuff that he's doing to promote himself and what he has going on. And of course, he shares some advice he picked up from his time on stage. We sat down and talked just a little bit before Christmas, and this is how that conversation went. So plug in your earbuds. This is how Tushaga lives uncontained. How are you doing today, Tushaga? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. All right. Great, man. So uh, I actually saw you. I've seen you perform a couple of times, once or twice at Tommy T's, and okay. then just recently at Cobb's for one of uh, Kabir Singh's uh, comedy competition. Yes. I normally ask people like what got them started in stand-up comedy, but you have quite a quite an interesting backstory. So uh, you want to just dive into your backstory a little bit? Uh, my mother is Armenian. My father's black. My mom was uh, disowned by her family after I was born for uh, whatever racist reasons they could think of. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so she was not the most happiest person in the world growing up. Always depressed. Uh, at an early age, I would just grab the Sunday uh, comics and just jump into bed and try to read a joke. So I would just read her something to make her laugh. And that's how I got started in loving humor. Okay. It didn't work for her, but it helped me a lot. <laughs> all right all right so your mom was actually disowned yes. for oh wow man that's it's that's hard to, we ended up in Oakland. it's hard to believe that that shit still happens you know well, well now with trump in office well, this was 71 also true and I was true born in boston and boston was known for its racism in the 70s okay yeah boston's like very like split isn't it it's kind of like irish side everything else pretty much so uh, <laughs> at least back then i don't know about now i haven't been out there in quite a while all right yeah i've, I've only visited boston so i have no 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 real knowledge of the workings of the yeah, town we found that the racism was just too much for us my mom she packed her bags i packed my diaper and she changed it we left <laughs> right on man right on so did you come directly to oakland from uh from Boston? Uh, I was a little young, so I'm still still under one. I was told I was put on a plane to D.C., and then I was put on a plane to Oakland, where I met my mom. So <laughs> okay, all right. So you had a layover in D.C.? Uh, she handed me off to a stewardess to meet up with my father in D.C., but he put me back on a plane to meet up with my mom in Oakland, so whatever. <laughs> okay, <laughs> interesting. Like I said, I was kind of young. I don't remember it too well. Now, I think it's illegal to put babies on the plane in the stewardess' hands nowadays. Probably, probably. Yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of liability that the airlines wouldn't want anyway. So, um, yeah, some definitely. Whole, you know, home security t- terrorist thing. I think babies are terrorists anyway. Yeah, I can I can't imagine how the like stewardess was, was that commonplace back then, or was the stewardess like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll take good care of him. <laughs> A little bit overhead. Be Put you right. on the drink cart as you're going as they're doing drink service and everything like that. All right, so. So you got to Oakland at a very young age still. Correct. All right. So with a slight layover in D.C. So now you're in Oakland. Yes. You're growing up. And now. Okay. At this point, it was more Bay Area. We started in Oakland, worked our way to Berkeley, Albany, El Cerrito, Richmond, back to Oakland. Uh, let's say uh, by high school, by freshman year of high school, I probably already went to about maybe 10 schools. 
Wow. Uh, for four years of high school, I went to five high schools. Wow, man. Just got to sample all of them, see which yeah, one you like. It's because, like I said, mom's was working day and night. It's just me and her. And, you know, sometimes we have to go backwards to go forward, but we're always trying to get out of the neighborhoods we're in. Okay. All right. So was it always, were you always trying to take that step up or? Yeah. It's always about moving forward. And yeah. sometimes you realize it's not a setback to go backwards. Sometimes you have to reset and then go forward again. So we did. Okay. Very cool, man. Very cool. Um, so, all right. So that's your childhood growing up. Uh, what was it like bouncing around to that many schools? The, did you have, were you able to make friends? Or oh, I made you... a lot of friends. I didn't need to keep them. Yeah. <laughs> so it was easy. Okay. All right. Um, Overall, I think I did better than most people because I I actually talked to everyone. Being a new kid at school all the time, nobody knows who you are. They put you with a lot of the immigrant kids coming in or they put you wherever. You just fit in where you can. So if I was at a school and there was something about me I didn't like and people would mess with me and I moved to another school, that's the first thing I worked on to change. I tried to present who I wanted to be to the other students. Okay. Whereas other people were stuck in the same school all their lives, go to the next school with the same group of people, the next school with the same group of people. If when you were eight years old, you peed on yourself, and now you're in high school, you're still known as that pee-pee boy. Yeah, I definitely. Got, I got to go to get away from a lot of the students, I noticed. So you got a chance to constantly reinvent yourself. Yes. So, like, all right. So later on, after high school and everything, you and... One year out of high school, started going. I started working with emotionally disturbed, sexual abuse, physical abuse children. Level okay. 14 facility, all wards of the courts. Last placement, uh, if you fail out of our place, you go to Napa Mental Hospital or CYA. Okay. What, what is years. CYA? Child uh, Youth Authorities, right? California Youth Authority. Okay. All right. So, how long did you do that for? Twenty years. Twenty uh, years. Now, at that facility itself, because of the level of treatment needed for the children, most staff within seventy-five percent of the new staff within three weeks or three months were gone. They quit the field altogether, even if they had education in it or not. It's just not for everyone. Really? Is that is that? Obviously, it has to be a demanding job dealing with, it, it, like, it mental uh, issues. And... You're doing with a lot. Let's say like this. You, um, let's see. All right. I'll, I'll give you a story. I can't really give too much information. But of course. We of had course. one kid who was 12 years old, had a prescription from the doctor for KY Jelly because he had lesions on his penis that were caused by too much friction. The doctor said he averaged out five to ten times a day every day. Every day. Now, in the classrooms, we'd have the, the sink outside the bathroom so we could wash the kids, wash their hands. He started touching himself. No, go to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom. Ten minutes later, come out with a big smile, walk right past the sink and come up to me. Tashaga, can I have a hug? Hell no, we ain't spooning after that shit. <laughs> but yeah, I dealt with those kids. He just wants to cuddle, man. It's not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can. That's Wow. <laughs> Uh, because I was 19 when I first started, they tried to break me and uh, force me out of the field by making me read every kid's history. No one should be exposed to that much trauma, period. So the, the organization that you worked for made you read every kid's history? When I first started, yes. Uh, if You have to be 21 and up to work there. I happened to be 19. They hired me because I had common sense in a group interview that no one else had. Yeah. Wow. Did they end up telling you why they did that? Why they tried to get, were they trying to actually well, get I you out? when I first started, I was a little too young. Okay. Like I said, I was 19. The oldest kid there was 16. I just got out of Skyline High School a year before and knew half the kids' parents. I mean, uh, my brothers and sisters. Hey, hey, tell your sister I say hi. You know, I saw your brother yesterday. Hey, I was at your house the other night. <laughs> so it's not it's not the easiest thing. Yeah. So I had to learn to mature. And that's what the process was about. 
Okay, okay. So break you down to make you stronger, not to like get well, you they to were quit to and run away. Uh, but there were some administrative there who decided that it wasn't worth just getting rid of him like that. They saw something in me. They decided to stick up for me, and I refused to let them down. So I stayed another twenty years altogether. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you stayed twenty years. So what was it that made you? Uh... I like working with the kids. This shit was fun. It was easy. See, the easiest thing about it was that I treat them as children. Yeah. They're not clients. They're kids. Okay. They're people. And that's the biggest difference. Most of these people coming in out of school, I read a book on how to deal with inner city youth. Uh, first of all, they're not inner city youth. They're children. Yeah. There's a difference. You have to learn. But nobody, they didn't understand it. So with the kids, I had a certain level of respect with them. They had no problems with me. Most of these new kids coming in knew who I was before I even introduced myself. He's the one person you don't need to mess with. He's nice. We're good. He's everyone else. If yeah. they didn't feel safe with the staff, they were fighting that staff. They were punching them all day in the face, shitting in their hands and smacking them in the face with it. I never had to deal with that because I treat them with respect. They're children. People. It's amazing like how much a little respect can uh, take you. You yeah. know, We had one kid in a full uh, four-person prone restraint on the ground one time. He's just completely out of control. He's banging his hand and wrist around. I noticed that he had just bought a watch that morning. It was a brand new watch. I was like, so, hey, let me take your watch off because I know you just got this. Let me get up. After that, he realized somebody cared. Oh, I'm ready to calm down now. That was it. Nobody else is talking to him. They don't do it. They talk at children. They don't talk to children. Yeah. And that was one of my problems. So that's one of your problems? Yeah. That sounds like that's like well, one society, of your strengths. The system right now is set up, is designed to fail children. And honestly, at the point of working in the system, you're a part of the system. So theoretically, I was failing the children too. That was my problem. Okay. So that's how I see it. Oh, one of your problems was how they treated, yeah. how they treated the kids. Yes. All right. I was taking it as you showing respect was one of your problems of oh, what no. you were saying. I was like, that sounds like a strength to me, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just don't like the... All right. And when I first started with the kids, too, it was a different industry now. Now, today, child care is run by the pharmaceutical companies. Simple as that. There's nobody yeah. else involved in that. There's no education. I mean, if you go to school to be a teacher, they teach you how to read curriculum. Makes no sense. If you're a teacher, you're supposed to learn knowledge to pass on. They're not giving any teacher's knowledge. They're hoping for the best that you got the stuff that you came out of high school with. Most of these people don't even pay attention in high school. It's a job. And it's not yeah. for the children. That's true, though, you know. Theoretically, uh, after the No Child Left Behind with uh, George Bush, yeah, I spent 20 years working with kids, but I never got a two-year degree. I was even the assistant principal of the school. But because of the No Child Left Behind, I am not legally qualified to work with children. Because I don't have a two-year degree that says that they're clients in the city youth. Wow. So the one thing, the one thing that actually probably made you good at your job is what stopped you from being able to do your job. Is that correct? That, like that. That, that's the government like right that. there, man. <laughs> so after 20 years, what was it that made you end up having to switch out of that profession? Oh, it was a permanent disability. I got an injury. My first okay. injury, uh, they realized it was cheaper to pay two to three people what they're paying me, and you have a good day. All right, no, our lawyers told us to offer you a job. Now, how did you get to San Leandro today? On the bus? No car? Okay. We, how about computer data entry, something you've never done before, and your choice, San Jose or Moran? You can't take either one because you don't have a car? All right, we're done. And that was it, after 20 years. So I get to start off fresh, brand new. All right, so they just they just let you go like that, huh? Uh, uh, I was told by the court that if I got this exact same injury one year sooner before Schwarzenegger became governor, I would have got broken off a quarter of a million dollars, no questions asked, plus lifetime medical. He came in and changed a lot of those rules to protect the rich and penalize the innocent. And 
I got penalized. So I was off work for three and a half years. When I finally settled up in court, they gave me less than a year salary. No medical, uh, no lifetime. Uh, if I took the lifetime, I'd have to be stuck in California for the rest of my life, which was not an option that I even okay. had the idea of being stuck. Yeah. So I didn't take the medical. Plus, I had too many bills left over, so I got the lump sum, which was less than a year salary and a whole lot of pain. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and is that when you transitioned from that job to doing stand-up comedy? No, or? no. Uh, for three years, I was off work, doing nothing, sitting at home, bored off my ass. And now, when I say I was bored, I mean... To the point where I just grabbed some wood in the house, started cutting it, uh, carving it, painting it, put it together. I made a chessboard. If you push a square here, a secret drawer pops open on that side. Push another square, a drawer pops. I don't even know how I did it. I was just bored. <laughs> so being that bored, I talked myself into, because uh, right, they gave me nine medications to take on a daily basis Damn. with the doctor for my injury. And I sat there with the doctor and said, how do I take all this together? Like you're asking me without killing myself or going on dialysis. She said, this bottle's for headaches, this bottle's for muscle relaxers, this bottle's for nerve. I said, bitch, I know how to read the bottle. How do I take this together like you're asking me without killing myself or going on dialysis? This bottle's for headaches, this bottle's for muscle We did that shit for 45 minutes. She couldn't even tell me. One of the pills that she gave me was antidepressants. Now, personally speaking, I'm never going to take antidepressants. I yeah. love life. And no one side effect of antidepressants is suicidal tendencies. She told me, and I quote, you don't have to worry about anything. Suicide, uh, antidepressants don't make you kill yourself. They only give you the energy and strength to kill yourself. So what, what is that? You mean take two of these? Maybe you call me in the morning? The fuck is that? So luckily I was in pain. I wasn't stupid. So I threw all the medication away. And for three yeah. years I was just bored. Finally I talked myself into uh, figuring out how to get on stage. And being the new kid everywhere, you don't stand out without getting an ass whooping. So you learn to blend in. So it was something I had to figure out how to get on stage. Signed up at that comedy college with uh, Curtis Matthews up in uh, San Francisco Comedy College. Okay. I signed up for their... Beginner class and their advanced class at the exact same time. It just went balls deep in it. Uh, within two weeks, they had me on the Purple Onion, the original Purple Onion stage. And from there, it's just been doing what I can. It's not as much as I would like, but I need to do more. I'm just lazy. Right on. So I was actually going to ask, like, earlier, did the – I'm guessing that the jumping around schools and having to adapt to new environments all the time kind of helps you get into stand-up and adapt to that. That hard for me to get into stand-up. That made it hard for you? Like I said, as a new kid, you don't stand out. New kids get their ass whipped. Okay. I blend in. I'm a chameleon. You put me in any city, I blend in. You put me in uh, the South, in two weeks, I have an accent. In New York, two weeks, I have an accent. It's, un- it's uncontrollable. I don't know how to do it. It just, it just happens. Really? Okay. I was thinking that being like having to deal with the unstableness of jumping to school to school prepared you a little bit for this. But you're saying it I was like I think right that- now, as I look at my uh, reflect upon my experiences in life, it probably did. Because yeah. I have a lot more stories than most people do. Although I don't really tell stories on stage, I tell jokes. Okay, okay. So do you ever talk about, uh, say, your disability on stage or anything like that? Uh, as of yet, no. Uh, I, I, right now, all right, so this is my dilemma. I, I see so many comedians tell stories or tell jokes. Okay. And first of all, I'm a writer. I love writing jokes. Like I said, I'm an artist. Uh, um, as far as with Kurt carving the, the chessboard, I've painted, I sculpted, I cooked, uh, I used to sing, dance, I've done a lot of things. I just never really focused on one thing because I have so many things that I'm good at. My stories deep down depress me. A lot of people love them. They think they're funny. I don't think they're funny. I think they're irritating because they happen to me. Yeah. So since I'm trying to transfer uh, happiness to, this, to the audience, I want them to be entertained, I give them jokes. 
Yeah. I don't give them my true stories because they depress me, and I think that's going to transfer to them. Okay. Is there any way you can find light in those stories? Oh, definitely. To... Oh, I definitely could get there. I just, I'm so new at the comedy thing that my voice hasn't really quite come yet. Okay. Okay. I'm still constantly trying jokes from as many different subjects as possible. Yeah. Trying to deliver them different ways. I've never told one joke perfectly that's in my head out loud yet, perfectly, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. But I am also my own worst, worst critic, so it's hard to say. Yes, yes. I I don't know if you know, but I've actually, for about three years, I did stand-up comedy. Then I moved out here. Then I started focusing on the podcast, so I haven't been on stage for nearly three years now. But one of the things that hung me up about stand-up is, like, in 2007, I went blind in my right eye. All right. And, yeah, yeah. So one of my things was I wanted to try to make my stand-up more personal and figure out how to talk about that a little bit without getting the uh reaction yes and that's the thing i don't want is the oh exactly so like i've talked to some people about it like there's this guy bruce J, who he was a regular on the man show uh for a while back in the day he has diabetes and actually had one of his legs amputated at the knee so he's like if you bring it up and they give the awe, just tell them to shut the fuck up. But, you know, it's like, it's a little different than that. You want to try to make, I don't know, I want to try to make people laugh about it without getting the sympathy thing. And I ha- I never quite figured that out. It's like, a, I have like a true story where I saved two people from drowning in, in, in Puerto Rico one time. And as I'm being congratulated by a guy 10 feet away from me, you just save those people. Good job. Good job saving those people. Is this your stuff right here? Hey, thank you. And then he takes my shit and runs. So I just got robbed after saving two people. I mean, I got stories, but like I said, they depress me. But people think that shit is funny, especially when I tell the whole story. Yeah, that, that shit's fucked up right there. He's like, this your shit? And then grabs it and runs away? Pretty much so, yeah. That's I was fun. just too tired to deal with it because I just finished fighting the ocean and saving two people. Man, what a dickhole. <laughs> That's all I can say, man. I went to bankruptcy court when I was uh, 21. I came out owing more money than when I walked in. How the hell does that work out? Uh, because the judge said i'm tired you're the last case of the day if anybody's here to contest it you automatically owe them everybody was there except for the irs who sent the letter saying we automatically got to get paid so i walked out owing everybody i couldn't pay plus court fees filing fees lawyer fees yeah like i said this shit depresses me so i tell jokes i write jokes i tell jokes okay all um, right because i haven't gotten to my true stories yet in a way that i like them. you know when you were telling the bankruptcy thing like i could have seen rodney dangerfield delivering that hey, i went to the I went to court to file for bankruptcy. I came out on one more than I came in with, you know? <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield. He's the one that said, uh, let's see, uh, my wife and I, we were doomed from the start. She's an earth sign. I'm a water sign. Together we made mud. <laughs> man, that, I, I miss that guy. That guy was great. Yeah. Him, like Definitely. Don Rickles, man. Like, yeah. those w- old one-line. Mr. Personality. Ah, oh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I just picked up. You could deliver that in the Dangerfield vibe if you had that going for you. Like, yeah, the I'm still Baker. trying to learn to slow down. I have a tendency to speed through my jokes sometimes, where I'll start the next joke before even giving people a chance to finish laughing at the punchline. So I'm I'm, I'm working on a lot of things myself, slowing down. Yeah, the that's tough, man. That's tough because when you're on stage and you pause, at least for me, a pause like, like that feels like three seconds. I come from a radio background. 
All right, I did. Oh, that dead air thing. Yeah, yeah, with any dead air is bad air. So I'm like constantly like trying to get air, talking, little, little filling stuff in, and uh, um, uh, no silence, and that doesn't always work in comedy. And I keep, I feel the exact same thing, and that's my problem. Why I keep talking so fast, but at the same time, I grew up with like Jack Benny, who would take a uh, thirty seconds just to, in between jokes and give people a chance to laugh at him, and he would just sit there, put his hand on the side of his face, and just wait. I've learned to see people do yeah. it. I just haven't learned to do it myself. I know, I know, it's tough. Yeah, as I said, when you think you're doing it, you still need to wait longer. <laughs> but, um, so, if you don't want to take your stories that you have that depress you to stage... They will come out one day. Right now, it's like, I sat down... Alright, so, honestly, on Friday, this Friday, I have a private Christmas party that they have me, that I'm uh, performing at. Okay. And I was... I actually don't know. Who, I know two of the three people putting it together. They're closing out a restaurant. I don't know what's this about, but they offer me a headlining, as they call it, because I get to do as much time as I want. All right. So for the last week, I've been sitting there looking at all my jokes that I've established and done on stage that I can remember, and I'm over an hour already, which is weird to me because I didn't, but I've been writing. Yeah. I lost uh, two notebooks already, and my computer's broken, so there's also material I don't even know that's on there that I have used. <laughs> I record all my sets. Okay. You know, that's the only way you learn to get better by yeah. analyzing and watching yourself. Simple as that. So I have a lot of material because I write. That's all I do. I'm just trying to make it sound like it makes sense, like it's a true story. Yeah. So like it flows. So where do you pull your jokes from? Like what uh, what aspects? If you if you aren't at currently going for your stories because they depress you, what is it that you bring to stage? Well, I still talk about me. Okay. I don't talk about people, individuals. I talk about me mostly. So. They may not be the actual stories of my life, but they might touch on something. You know, uh, I will talk about being a single child, you know, being raised by a single mother. You know, I'll talk about yeah. that on stage a lot. I'll talk about uh, losing my hair earlier, growing bald. It's no big deal with me. You know, I'm not self-conscious about that shit. But if I ever do get self-conscious, I got enough pubic hair, I can do a hair transplant. <laughs> I'm just afraid people notice it's moist and wavy only on the top. Hot days a little musty. You know, things like that. So I can always find something to pull. Now, okay. from there, that's that. I also have my little political humor and stuff like that. Okay. I talk about like which clan members wearing white dashikis with uh, hoodies on it because you know a twelve hundred thread count, which is Egyptian cotton, African fabric, but you're racist. You know things like that. Okay. I I, I have material about being high, watching animal programs. I mean, I just I touch on whatever I can. Uh, let's see. I was in San Diego one time and I got roofied, so I'll talk about that on stage, but I'll change it around. Uh, they were trying to get my cousin's girlfriend. They end up getting my drink because they were next to each other. But okay. Luckily, I made it to the hotel without any incidents. I hope. <laughs> you hope, you hope. Yeah. Not that, nothing that I remember anyway. Or like I was in Vietnam and, you know, I'm at like an open market and ladies are approaching me for prostitution. So I'll talk about prostituting on stage, and but it's not about Vietnam. It's yeah. about a way I've turned it around so it relates to what's going on around me in life. Okay, okay. You know, I, I like I said, I got a lot of experiences. By age 10, I, had, uh, I started working when I was 10. My, you know, so I've had a job every in my life until I got that injury. In those yeah. three years, I didn't work. Other than that, I've always worked. That's all I do. Yeah. And I mean, all I do is work. And that's the problem. I need to stop working and get on stage. I need a sponsor. I need a sugar mama. <laughs> I hear that, man. I Somebody hear that. allow me to be an artist. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. You know, they have like, they have like Match, eHarmony, Farmers Only, Christians Mingle, SugarMama.com. Come on. It'd be popular. It would be. It would be. Where's my There's sugar mama? catfishing going on, though. <laughs> I know, right, right, right. 
<laughs> yeah, you already have to worry about the prince in Nairobi uh, <laughs> trying to be like, hey, I need to cash this check. Will you help me? What's your social security number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck that guy. $200,000 so I can send you a million. Yeah, okay. yeah I'll get right on that. All right. Now, what do you see coming up next for you in stand-up comedy? All right, next for me. All right, so I'll be far. I'll be honest. This now, this is just me. Okay. I'm. I don't, I don't consider myself the ego, per, egotistical person or arrogant. And when I say this, I'm not trying to be egotistical. But I personally feel that I am by far the best, laziest comic you'll ever meet. If I ever leave the house, you never know what might happen. Yeah, you know that, that's that, that's. That's the thing. Got to take that step out of the house, man. No. And And right now, I'm I'm tired. (laughs) That's my problem. I'm just so tired from working for so long and life catching me with a permanent disability for the last 12, 13 years. But, hey, I enjoy comedy. The comedy is what helped heal me. I have to get out there. So I do it for my health, but I'm ready to take it to another level. I want to figure out how to turn it into a career, turn it again, get paid, maybe writing or, or, or even being on stage as much as possible. Now, I'm hearing a lot of comedians have to merchandise in order to make money uh there's no other money out there that i know of but yeah i don't know how this works yet i'm like i said i originally got into it for my health yeah so how how did it help your health like how like how did the humor help you heal oh it was the strangest thing so for after the i stopped taking the medication my arm was immobilized for three years i couldn't even pull it out of my pocket unless i used my other arm and finally after i got on stage within two weeks to two months after hearing the audience laugh and hearing myself laugh so much Pain cut in half. I went out and got a job a month later. Really? Yeah. They do say laughter like is the best medicine. It releases a lot of endorphins into the body. It did something wonderful. It helps. And I noticed that when I'm not on stage, I miss it. I need to be on stage. Yeah. And I hate being on. I hated being on stage when I was younger. Now I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah, I was I was the same way. I was that kid in class, like had to give a report or whatever that was shaking the paper, like waving in the air, like just like. Almost like I don't know. Standing there with a hard on. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's doesn't everybody do that? Five times a day, man. The doctor, he prescribed me KY jelly once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. For the lesions. Uh, Special kids. Special kids. Yeah, man. That's just one story out of twenty years worth. Like I said, it was not the best place for people. (laughs) Yeah, no. Rarely those places are from what I hear, you know. Well, a lot like, of people get into it for the wrong reason. Oh, something happened to me, so if I work with kids, no, what you're doing is transferring your shit onto that child. That's it. Nothing else. You're in it for the wrong reason. What would you say the right reason is? To help children. Okay, plain to and simple. Pass on education, knowledge, and, and experience. Life is nothing but experiences, but not everything you have to experience to learn from. You can learn from other people's shit by watching them. Yeah. All right. All right. So, now, how long have you been doing stand-up comedy for? Uh, Roughly about seven years, I would say. Uh, only the last two and a half, three years, I've actually been trying to pursue it a little bit more so than just going out the house once a month. Okay, all right. Uh, like I said, I originally started doing it for my health, and like I said, I was also stepped back a little bit because it's a lot of work. Oh, wait, I need to get back on stage, so now I'm back out there again. You know, coming in the house after an eight-hour day, spend four and a half hours waiting to do a, a three-minute set at an open mic, and then spend another hour and a half to get back home. It's not the most fun sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it needs to be done. I, I, I crave it. And that's a strange-ass feeling. And you know, you mentioned that you have to get out of the house to do it. Technically, now, you don't even have to get out of the house to do <laughs> become, like, internet famous, at least. You could just, like, do sets in your in your living room or whatever and, like, record them, put them on YouTube and, you know, 
get out that way. But it's still not the same as being in front of a live crowd. I'll give same. you that. It's definitely not the same. And like for the YouTube videos, personally speaking, I like when they do more than just film it on their phone. You know, put yeah. some script to it. Add a little bit of a uh, you know humor. You know, maybe a costume or two. Just let us know you're trying. Yeah, do a little editing at least. Just a little something. I'm not asking much in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, man. So, now, in the time that you have been doing stand-up comedy, um, what advice would you say that you can pass on to somebody who is uh, just getting started out or looking to take that next step? Uh, as far as passing on advice, first and foremost, record yourself if you can. There are so many comedians out there who just go out there and just wing it every night. And they say, oh, that was gold. Uh, what was gold about it? I didn't. Can you tell me what joke? Well, I don't remember what I said last night. But, like, for instance, when I first started, it wasn't until, like, the fifth episode of, I mean, not episode, the fifth time watching myself on tape that I realized, oh, I feel the joke is uh, bombing. I'm dropping my head down. Now I'm backing up against the wall trying to get out of the spotlight. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. So really? until I saw that, then I started, okay, lift my head up, walk forward instead. You know, you have to learn to correct yourself. Yeah. And if you are going to analyze yourself and correct yourself with this, uh, look at your videotape three ways. Regular, with sound on. Uh, turn the sound off. Just look at your movements. And then the okay. third way is to just uh, listen to it without looking at the videotape. Okay. But go through the whole spectrum of what you sound like, what you look like, and what you're delivering. That's the first thing I would tell people. Second of all, my hardest thing for me is to feel confident about my own jokes. I know my jokes are funny. But when I'm delivering them, I don't feel confident in my delivery, and that's what something I need to work on. Uh, if you wrote down your joke, you got to own your joke. Yeah. And it's not the easiest thing for me, but I say that that's one of the things you should pass on. Own it. It's your material. This is what you wrote down. Own that as your joke. Let the audience feel that this is what you're doing. Don't negate your own joke by saying, never mind, or, you know, that that wasn't funny. Just own it. That's what you, it's you. Yeah, yeah. The, that is great advice, both both segments of that advice uh the record yourself and like kind of watch it listen to it or just listen to it you know get the three senses involved separately sometimes i'll actually go back and like listen to my podcast and be like if i was tuning into this would i listen to it you know would i keep this on and stuff like that. then i also listen to it as a critique as a podcaster who's like Oh man, I talked over him here. I uh, didn't let him finish what he was saying. Oh, that was a stupid ass comment. Why did you say that? Um, type stuff. So you know, you gotta like take it, critique yourself, and let other people that you trust like critique it as well. That's the hardest thing is to get honest feedback from people. Uh huh. I mean, I don't need you to just tell me it was good or it wasn't good. Why was it good? Why wasn't it good? I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't take everybody's piece of advice. I do listen to all of it. I process it. Amen I that. Deal with, I pull what other that I can that works for me. But I need to at least hear something honestly first. And most people are just afraid of honesty. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's good. Does you no good. No, uh, it's bad. bad. Does you little good. You know, like, it's sure like, why? Okay, it, I've heard that already. What else? I think the best piece of feedback I've ever gotten from comics has been from uh, Story Moore and uh, Phil Woods. Okay. I asked them for to watch one of my sets separately. They both gave me the exact same critique, and it was actually so on point that it just stopped me right then. I was like, thank you, both of y'all. And they, t- they gave it to me separately at different times, but they both saw the exact same thing. And that's with the hashtag HellaFunnyCrew uh, for your people listening. But 
it. I've gotten my most honest feedback so far as from comedians from those two. Yeah, definitely. And then after that, you get a lot from like a Tony Sparks, you know, the Godfather out here. Everyone yeah. talks about him. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's hard to get true feedback. And that's my problem. It is. It is. And just advice for people who are trying to give feedback. Um, listen to it. Then when you say something, like if you're like, I don't like this, that, this, that, or another, then try to say why you didn't like that or like what you think they could do to improve it. You know, uh, otherwise it's just you're sitting there like with a, okay, now why? And I don't want to critique just for critique. I mean, yeah. just think about it. Make it educated. Something that can actually help. And like I said, I may not even use it. I just want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I agree with you completely on that, man. Now, what is it that you are doing to promote yourself? Uh, currently, I haven't done much. I have Instagram. I promote whatever shows coming up that I feel good about on that. I don't promote open mics uh, because I I don't need to add some crazy something into some of my people's psyche that they don't want to hear from somebody coming up <laughs> off the bus line just now. Oh, God, uh, yeah. So I don't invite people to open mics. I go to open mics just to shoot out jokes, practice jokes, whatever. Yeah, definitely. So unless I get a gig, unless I'm getting featured, unless somebody's calling me up, then I invite people to those. I don't really do too much in the way of bringing shows. Um but I do have people who come out because they want to see me perform. But yeah, I'm not definitely. going out trying to enlist people to come out and support that. I'm just hoping you'll notice my comedy. Yeah, definitely. What is the craziest thing that you've seen at an open mic? I'll, I'll share a story, too, when I get this. But. Uh, let's see. At an open mic, at two separate open mics in the city, uh, there's been fights. Uh, one of them was between a comedian and a host. Uh, the comedian wasn't even invited to the show, but he felt he should have been on, so he came out to prove a point. <laughs> That's a good and, way to do it. And another one time was just two other comedians were just one accused the other person of stealing jokes. And so now, the thing that was interesting to me about it is that both times this fighting happened, you see almost every single person in the audience leave because they they don't know what to expect. And at that point, the host calls me up on stage. Perfect like, timing. Why'd you call me up now? <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> Everything's already calm. We, we calmed everything down now. <laughs> it's like, Okay, I'll, I'll share two stories with you. One is a good weird. The other one is like, what the fuck weird? All right. The first one is the good weird. It was, uh, I mentioned him earlier in the show. It was Bruce J. And uh, as I said, he has one leg amputated. And he was crawling across stage singing like a virgin, like Madonna. And, you know, he just stuck with it long enough. Long enough. Until until the crowd like bought into it, and then like it's it's amazing to see him work. Actually, sometimes he'll just start with something completely off the wall and keep repeating it until the crowd bites and finds it funny and just dedicate to that joke. The second thing that I saw, it was actually out here at uh, I was doing an open mic night at Dirty Tricks and the uh, Inner Richmond. I don't think that's around anymore, but I was doing a open mic night at Dirty Tricks. And this guy come out, like, he was dressed in a mask, like, almost like a Mexican wrestler mask type thing. And uh, he came out, and he actually peed on the stage. Like, he laid out a tarp and stuff, but still, he, like, pissed right there in front of the crowd. And, yeah, that was probably the strangest thing I've ever seen. Uh, That that did remind me of one other story. Uh, when I was over out at Milk Bar in the city. Okay. Comedian gets on stage, berates the audience. He's drunk off his ass, apparently. He's just 
just belligerent, making no jokes, just yelling at the audience. Uh, four minutes into it, he walks off the stage, sits down on one of the chairs, throws up on himself, and passes out. And this is the representation of comedy. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. That was my problem. Was yeah, like, this, that's... this is not cool for me. What is this? It's like you'll see on stage, I wear a certain tie almost every time. Yeah. Uh, because I noticed that most of these comics look homeless. You're presenting <laughs> yourself in front of people. What are, they, what are you doing? Yeah. Wash your ass just once. You know, I'm not asking much. Like I said, you, I mean, you don't even need a tie. Are, so are just, you saying, like, wash your ass on stage? No, nah, well, you can't do that. If they're peeing on stage, it's not. <laughs> Some, you know, try something. I'm just saying that you don't have to look homeless. You come up there with a backpack. Uh, you're wearing two jackets that are next to you. you got three pairs of pants on. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of this. You just escaped from one of these uh, psych units or something. And a shopping cart yeah. just off the side of the stage. I brought my bag on stage one time, and that's because I just didn't trust nobody in the audience that night. Yeah. Other than that, I, I, I won't bring my shit on stage. I take my jacket off, my hat off. I'm presenting myself. This is what I'm presenting. I don't pull notes out of my pocket. I refuse to look at a note on stage. If I die on stage, I die on stage. The one thing that I've done is, like, I basically wrote out, like, kind of like a set list or whatever and then dropped it on the floor. I've you seen know? that before. But... I, I get too distracted by it. I started looking for it. And I, yeah. I, I noticed that when I first started. Yeah, or just set it on the stool or whatever. Yeah, but going, in holding notes in your hand, that's like, if for any aspiring stand-up comic, don't do that. And the way I look at it is, if it's really your jokes that you wrote, that you wrote your jokes, you should know them. Yeah. You really should know your material. I'll say this, though. There was one time I found it acceptable. It was George Carlin. All right. He came out on stage after doing about 45 minutes. He's already like, do you guys care if I debut some new material here? All right. It's like so new. I have it written out right here in front of me. And yeah. And he's like, by now, you're probably sick and tired of hearing about things I hate. He's like. Want to hear about some things I love? You do have to write that down. It's the complete opposite. Yeah. And then, then he's like, plane crashes. The more women and children on board, the better. <laughs> like, natural disasters. And it starts listing all this shit. But, yeah, that was like the one time that, you know, a professional comic where that's kind of acceptable, you know. And plus, he had nothing to lose. He's, he's George Carlin, damn it. Yeah, he already established himself a long time. Um, I do suggest that a lot of these new comedians also, if they get the opportunity, study your craft. There's a lot of comedy in this world. There it's is. It's been going on for generations and decades and decades. And all honesty, um, there's a lot of humor out there. I'm not saying recycle their jokes, but just be exposed to them. Learn how to write one. Exactly. Exactly. When I was a kid, it wasn't near as saturated with stand-up comedy. I had to either wait for A&E evening at the Improv to come on or uh, go to BET and watch Comic View. You know, that those were like the two places where you could find stand-up. Now you got Netflix uh, where there's stand-up specials yeah, everywhere. Yeah, YouTube. YouTube. All you need to know is a name. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you noticed on my uh, Instagram, I do put out a quote from a comedian every morning. Yes. Every day. Yes. Um, I've been doing it for like about two years now, I guess. Uh, I tried to stop uh, I start getting that itch, and I have to go find some comedy, and I put it out that day, maybe 5 o'clock in the evening, but I'm going to get it out that day. Yeah. It's like I just don't know how to stop doing it. I just love comedy. I go to bed thinking about comedy. I wake up in the morning thinking about comedy. And so I actually research the craft. I look, I look at comedy every night, and I put out something from somebody. That's and it's awesome. Hard. When you have all those stories, it's hard to find that one joke you can actually write to translate over. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So do you, what, what audience do you find yourself relating to the most or working 
Like, do you, do you have a specific audience that uh, you feel gets you best, or are you pretty versatile? Uh, I like to think I'm versatile. I have a retirement center humor because I worked at retirement centers. So if I have an older crowd, I have younger people material if I, if I have a younger crowd. Uh, if it looks like there's a bunch of families out there, I might talk about families sometimes. I mean, like I said, I, I write on as many subjects as possible because yeah. I have a lot of experiences. And I'm still trying to find what voice I want to use on stage. Okay. All right. Cool, man. Cool. So have you have you narrowed down your voice at all? Are you, are, do you feel you're getting closer to the voice? Oh, it's getting closer. It's definitely getting closer. It's It's... It's hard to say what it is still. It's still just me. Real soon, I'm going to go away from talking about me, and I'm going to start talking about a lot of other things. Okay. Uh, like, right now, currently, my job is working as a blackjack dealer at a casino. Yeah. Uh, which is not my but I, my choice of, of what I want to do in life. You know, if things were going well for me right now, I wouldn't be on the podcast. I'd be on the beach somewhere. Real easy to understand. Yeah. But as a blackjack dealer... Sorry, I'm not on the beach interviewing, man. <laughs> uh, we are here in Oakland at uh, Drake's, uh, Drake's dealership, dealership. though. Nice Which place. is a pretty cool place, so quit bitching, man, please. No, <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. You want to make a harsh transition right here? Please. Let's jump to what's your highlight. Uh, highlight for me right now, actually, is this Friday show. I get the, like I said, they, they, they gave me a headline position. It's, all right, so somebody who does open mics like myself, where am I supposed to ever practice an hour special that every comedian has in their head that I want to do an hour special thing? Yeah. And open mics of three to five minutes, you never will have the opportunity to practice them Unless people know you already, and that doesn't happen. Nobody knows me. So somehow I got lucky. I got an opportunity to stretch my legs out and do as much material as I can, and I'm going to see what I can do. And then from there, I'm going to try to realize how much further I can go. This will be airing past Friday. Like, Friday will come before this goes out. But no uh, where is this uh, show? It's like, actually uh, uh, it's a restaurant in San, Fr- in, uh, San Leandro. They were closing it down. It's a private function. If you're not on their list, you're not coming in, they said. Okay. Uh, so I haven't advertised it to anybody whatsoever. Okay, um, fair I, enough. I'm bringing a couple of comedians, local comedians with me just to make it a real show for these people. Because they're, they're just having a company thing, karaoke and stuff like that. They want that, hey, you do comedy, can you do a joke? Yeah, I'll do some <laughs> comedy for you. Tell me a joke, funny man. Uh, <laughs> make me laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, you're a comic? You're, I love that. You're a stand-up comic. Can I hear a joke? Yeah, you get that from uh, lawyers, doctors, and comedians. You don't get that with any other career. Yes, exactly. Now, when you're on stage, after you get off, if somebody from the crowd comes up to you and offers you a tag for your joke, how do you react? I usually accept everything I can hear. Uh, If it works and it's a good tag, I might actually use it. Uh, But overall, I just, like I said, I accept all feedback. I don't use all feedback. I accept it. I listen to it. I process what works best for me and I move on. Nothing else I can do with it. But I'm willing to listen to it. All right. Perfect, man. Perfect. So now when somebody does come see you perform, all right, what is it that you want them to feel or take away? Or is there anything that you want them to remember about your performance? I just want them to be happy. I just want to leave them with laughter. I want people to be happy. You know, it's not much else involved in life right now for me. I just, it's either depression or happiness. And I prefer the happiness. Of you course, know, man. If I want to depre- be depressed, I'll turn on the news. I can watch that anytime, be depressed all day long. But I choose to bombard myself with comedy, with humor, because it helps. It keeps you happy. It keeps you young. Definitely, dude. Definitely. And, and I want the audience to recognize the joke writing skills if they can. I, I know that some people don't get my jokes. But I write jokes that I personally think are funny. 
Okay. Now, if you don't understand, if you didn't, if you didn't get it, that's fine. I got other jokes. If you didn't like that one, if you didn't understand the joke, you probably should have stayed in school. At that point, it's not on me. I find that education helps these jokes with some people, but I don't want to attack the audience yet either. Still, too, so it gets hard. <laughs> I like that. You, sh- you know, I actually would laugh my ass off if you said that on stage after, like, if you if you put out an educated joke and be like, nobody's laughing. Be like, yeah, an education really does help with these jokes. I went out one purposely bomb, and the material I chose to use was to explain how I felt that William Shakespeare was suffering from uh, erectile dysfunction. Uh, you know, I was doing this whole bit about uh, being at a strip club, the Taming of the Shrew, where they jingle for where they shing, jingle for a shingle. Or something. I mean, I'm just yeah. doing this whole thing. I was trying to bomb. You know, I'm explaining the mead room. They didn't have a champagne room. They were drinking that honey, that honey beer. Mead. The mead room. Yeah, so right. it, this whole bit just went on to that thing. and that, But I'm explaining everything to the artist because I'm trying to bomb. I got off and three people were like, hey, that wasn't bad. I mean, it was terrible, but it wasn't bad. If you tighten it up a little bit, you could get a lot of pussy. And I'm like, wait, I'm just telling jokes. How did you get the pussy from here? Because <laughs> nobody else is doing uh, Shakespeare humor. I was like, oh, my God. You never know, man. The niche, I'm not, not even like throwing in the pussy aspect to it, but Dennis Miller made it with super smart comedy. You know, that's his niche. I write jokes on every different level I can. I got some of the stupidest jokes in the world. I got some intelligent jokes. Like I said, I'm trying to find a voice. So I try to write as many different things as I can until I figure out what flows the most. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. So, oh, man. So it's been awesome talking to you, man. It's a pleasure. And I appreciate you coming over here, meeting me at Drake's dealership here in Oakland. With beautiful atmosphere music going on in the background. A couple of people brought their dogs. Yeah, we got some water bowls right here, man. They're uh, they're pretty empty. I ain't going to lie. But uh, it's been really awesome talking to you. And uh, when is your – do you have any shows coming up that the public can go to? Uh. Not at the moment. I actually am looking for some shows to get into. I try to avoid the open mics, um, but I need them because I have to get on stage. But that's the only place I can meet people right now, too. Like I said, I'm fairly new. Yeah. I only just started really doing it seriously within the last couple of years, even though I've been doing it for seven years. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've met a lot of the right people. A lot of them put me on the shows. It's just I got to keep going on the shows. Like this last month, I had what, four bookings, which is good for me. But I need to be booked a lot more. I need to be booked four times in a weekend if I can. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'll get there, man. You'll oh, get yeah. there. I know I will. You know, know it's like a lot of it's networking. That's what the open mics were for me. You know, like when I go there, it was it was working on jokes and meeting other comics and stuff like that. I just and started like, the networking thing. I'm brand new at that. I started listen, talking to some people outside of the show. Yeah. This lady was explaining that she's a, a social media expert in the daytime and she can put you on and at nighttime she's a dominatrix. And I was like... I've been missing all these conversations. Oh yeah, let's let's network. <laughs> man, that that's an interesting profession, man. It's not like the dominatrix thing, not my style, but you know. If you want to pay me to whoop your ass, I got no problem with that. <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> you made me lose my train of thought with that one, man. Uh what I was gonna say is like some of the networking that I've made when I was doing stand up in Iowa, uh where I'm from as uh like tom garland who happened to be the first and hundredth guest on my show he also hooked me up with uh rabbit from super troopers eric stolhansky uh so he hooked me up with that interview so you know you never know when the person's gonna you know yeah yeah. 
I'm just hoping that people recognize the skills. I'm yeah, like, exactly. I got, little, I got a little talent. Yeah. I got a lot of work to do, of course, but I got a little talent. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. And I appreciate you bringing that talent here. I got one final question for you. Um, Dushaga, how do you live uncontained? Day to day. I live uncontained however I can through life. I can't stay in the house. Life is way too short. All we have is this fleeting moment. So get yourself out. Do some things. I lost two careers with an injury, and I still got a whole lot of life ahead of me. So I'm trying to create some new careers. Hell yeah, man. I got one final thing for you to do. Deshaga, will you do me the honor of signing off the show tonight? Of course. Uh, I'd like to first say thank you. I of course, love man. what you're doing as far as just finding an opportunity for comedians and comedy and entertainers and whoever just to get known, get seen, get heard, get something. Thank you. There's not many opportunities out there for us. I do appreciate that. I am Tashaga, and I live uncontained. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Tashaga for joining me and uh, sharing his story. Wow. And it is true. Laughter is the best medicine, and uh, that's just a testament to it. And Everybody's been there, maybe not to the extent that Tashaga had, but, you know, You get that laugh in, and you definitely feel better inside. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend. Share it with somebody who you think could use this show. And uh, I will appreciate that forever. And while you're surfing the interwebs or the World Wide Web, whatever you want to call it, make sure you check me out on social media and online uh, facebook instagram twitter it's all at uncontained pod and online it is uncontainedpod.com very simple hit me up leave me a message i'll get back to you i'd love to hear from you guys and what you think of the show so until i hear from you and until next time live uncontained